Hey, this is Rachel Middleton, and I'm really grateful you are joining us today for the Doorways Leadership and Influence Network podcast. This is the place where topics and issues relevant to leadership, influence, and the kingdom of God are discussed and help us learn and grow together. Are you ready? Let's get started. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so glad you're here for Season 2, Episode 11 with Justin Green. Justin and his wife, Tiffany, and their three school-aged kids live in the greater Tulsa area. That is, unless they've decided to hook up the camper and get out of town for a few days. Before we get into our conversation with Justin, I'd like to say that your feedback is important to us. If you have a suggestion for a guest or topic, please let us know. Drop us an email at info at doorways.cc, and we'll see how to incorporate that into our podcast schedule. We really would appreciate both your feedback and your input. Justin, thanks for joining us on this podcast. Hey, I've looked forward to this for a few weeks. I'm glad we finally found a time that this worked out. I'm thinking back to one of our first meetings, not our very first, but one of our first meetings was when you were a college ministry director at the University of Tulsa. Is that That's like nearly 20 years ago. Yeah, that was just about 20 years ago. Um, that was an interesting and exciting time in my life. I remember those times and have very fond memories of that. How long did you serve as the director of, of the Assemblies Guide program called Chi Alpha on that campus? How long did you serve as the director of that program? So I was here as the director of that program for about five years. Chi Alpha is a ministry that I had the privilege of being a part of when I was in college at Oklahoma State University. And uh, later on in life, I had the opportunity to serve as the campus pastor at the University of Tulsa, as you mentioned. Well, you were born in Cushing, Oklahoma. You're the fourth of five children born to a single mother. When your bio, you wrote, life growing up wasn't always easy, but life as we knew it was good. We didn't have much, but we had each other, and that somehow always seemed like enough. It's hard to be a single mother, regardless of how many kids you have, but there were five of you. I mean, she had to be working an awful lot of the time just to make ends meet. She really did, and that's not something that I appreciated until later in life as I got older and looked back and saw all of the sacrifices that she made so that we could have the things that we had. We were fortunate to have a support system with aunts and uncles and friends in the neighborhood and the community, but uh, she played the role of both mother and father in our lives. She took care of us, and she wasn't afraid to work hard to make that happen, and I'm very thankful and blessed for that. So you're one of those kids whose life was changed because someone had the heart, the ability, to the passion, whatever, to drive a bus on Sunday and bring kids to church. Do you still have contact with any of those bus captains or any of those bus workers from years ago? You know, actually, I do have contact with a few of those. Some of those who drove the bus for us back then were elderly at that time and have gone on to be with the Lord. But I do still reach out and talk to some of those folks who was involved in that and picked us up and made sure that we were there and made sure that we behaved while we were on the bus, still in contact with some of their children and even grandchildren today because they played an influential role in our lives. Well, they've got to be pretty proud of you. I, I would mean, like they, to think so. But to realize that one of those kids living in poverty, life could have gone another direction for you, but it didn't. And their impact's pretty incredible. You know, most definitely. And I still thank those people to this day. As a matter of fact, I just saw a post on Facebook, and it had a couple that was influencing our lives, one of our leaders in uh, some of the small groups and things we did. And I, mm. I made a comment on there today about just how blessed I was that they were there and willing to serve during that time, 
not only at the church, but also in opening up their homes, allowing us to come in and be a part of their families and make a place where we could have a good, safe environment. You felt a call to youth ministry, even while you were in high school, but you didn't feel called to seminary. So what was going on in your heart that you took this non-traditional route toward ministry? That is very true. I had a youth pastor who was an incredible man, he and his wife. They were such good examples to me, and they always kept me involved in the church. They let me serve beside them as a leader, even as a student. Then after high school, I still came back, and I was a youth sponsor in that same youth group. I babysit their children. I took my driver's license test in his car. So I think part of it is the example that was set for me by such a great man of God, but uh, also just being sensitive to the leading of the Lord. I, I felt that I was supposed to go into ministry and the youth ministry, but I didn't feel drawn to go to seminary. I didn't know exactly how that was going to work or play out in my life, but I knew that there was a calling there. And God showed me the way as I went down life's path. Did he say, you need to go to seminary or did he say, hey, take whatever path that you feel like you need to walk? You know, he encouraged me to follow the leading of the Lord for my life. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that he didn't persuade me one way or the other, because if I had gone to seminary, things may have turned out differently than what they have in my life. So I'm very thankful that he was sensitive to the Lord enough to direct me to just follow his leading and his calling in my life. Well, I want to fast forward through some of the other opportunities you've had, roles you've filled, places that that you served, et cetera. I'm especially excited for you that you're currently living your dream job. Now, this is a dream job that you had as a young person. You had this sense of calling to youth ministry, but you had this other sense of desire, excitement, consideration, whatever. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So right now, I currently serve for the Tulsa County Sheriff's Office. So Law enforcement was something that I always looked up to as a young person, totally different then than what it is now, but I always looked up to law enforcement officers in our small town. They were real down-to-earth people. They were always there to provide a helping hand. There were really cool shows on TV back in the day, like Chips, you know, the California Highway Patrol officers, and my sister and I would ride our bikes down the street, pretend that we were Ponce and and the guys there on chips and doing those kind of things. So I always had a fondness for law enforcement. And as I graduated high school, it's kind of what I really wanted to do. But my mother said, boy, that job is too dangerous and you're not going to do it. (laughs) So out of respect for my mother, I did not go into law enforcement out of high school. While she was alive. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That is right. While she was alive, I did not do that. But later in life, as I was transitioning between jobs and careers, I was praying about where I should go and what I should be doing. And I really felt that this dream of law enforcement was placed in my heart a long time ago. So I said, maybe I should explore that and see where it goes. Maybe I won't succeed. Maybe I will. I don't want to get 10 years down the road and regret never trying it. I jumped out there and took a leap of faith. I have been successful and enjoy what I'm doing. I really like what you wrote in your bio. I've not heard this before. It may be unique to you. Maybe you heard it from somewhere else. It doesn't matter. I love it. It says, sometimes you have to go through transition to get into position for what God has for you. Very very true. Yeah, I did the bivocational ministry route for a while. I did full-time ministry for a while. And then I I even stepped out of full-time ministry and just went back to the secular market and worked finance for a while. But I found where I'm supposed to be. What do you see is the role of a believer as a law enforcement officer? 
That is a great question. I believe the role of a believer as a law enforcement officer is to be a servant. You know, you often hear law enforcement, we're here to serve and protect. But I think I try to take that role as a servant even deeper than just the saying on the side of a car. You know, a lot of people view law enforcement officers as people who like to drive fast and shoot guns or there to always arrest the bad guy. And yeah, we do do those things sometime. But I think there's so much more that you can do as a believer and as a law enforcement officer to make an impact in people's lives by being a servant and being sensitive to the Lord. Well, let's go another step further here. Your ministry credentials have been with the Doorways Leadership and Influence Network since 2021. We're glad, Justin, you're part of our network and proud to have had the opportunity to validate the ministry that God has called you to in law enforcement. So then how does being an ordained minister inform your actions or communications as a law enforcement officer? You know, first of all, let me say thank you to uh, to Doorways for allowing me this opportunity, because being credentialed through the Assemblies of God was something I believed that I was was called. And I believe when God calls you, he doesn't revoke his calling. Although I wasn't credentialed any longer with the Assemblies, I still felt I had that calling on my life. And Doorways come beside me and partnered with me to, like you said, validate that call and reaffirm that call of the Lord on my life, even though I'm not working in full-time ministry, but I'm still called to be a minister. So I appreciate that. I think you are working in full-time ministry. So don't, (laughs) let's clear that up. You may not being paid out of the coffers of a church or a nonprofit, but you certainly are in full-time ministry. So I just want to make sure you understand that's and you know that's what we believe. It's just yes. those are the things that roll off our tongue. Yeah, Right, right. I appreciate that. Thank you for correcting me on that. Being a minister and being involved in law enforcement, I think what that does, it helps provide clarity to you because a lot of things that we do where we, you know, we say we have discretion, say I have discernment on that's some good. of the choices we make and how we interact and deal with people. As we're going down the road, I pull over a car. I have the discretion of whether I'm going to give you a ticket or give you a warning, but I also have the ability to have that discernment of maybe speaking into someone's life at that time, or the decision I make will impact them in a certain way because the leading of the Holy Spirit in my life. So I'm very grateful for that. And I think that's one of the huge things that makes a difference in our life. My life as a law enforcement officer and an ordained minister has the ability to be discerning we are put into all kinds of situations with all kinds of people. Everybody doesn't need a ticket. Everybody doesn't need to go to jail. Some do, but not everyone does. And sometimes you can make a bigger impact on someone's life by speaking out a kind word uh, into their lives right. and maybe some gentle correction or in, in instruction as opposed to being more firm or just giving them a piece of paper moving on down the road. That can have a bigger impact on their lives just by being discerning and discretionary and how you interact and involve and deal with people. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I I like that whole thought process. Justin, you spend your days working in law enforcement or evenings or, or whatever, you have a shift and then it's time to go home. You never really hang up the badge. You always wear the badge, even if, if not physically, certainly in your heart. So you got to go home though, and you can't be corporal green at home, you got to be dad, you got to be honey, husband, brother, whatever. Is that a difficult transition? I mean, how do you how do you detach from one and embrace the other? You know, fortunately for me, I don't see it as a difficult transition. 
because I believe I have my priorities right. For some of the folks I work with, that has been a difficult transition for them because I be- I work hard at having that work-life balance and understanding that, kind of, like you said, we're, we're never really off-duty. We always are there to serve. And if I'm in Walmart and something comes up, then I'm obligated to act as a law enforcement officer. But like you said, I'm also a family man and my family is my priority. So I work really hard on having that balance between focusing on my job and focusing on my family. Uh, I try to compartmentalize things the best I can. And I think in this job, you have to be able to do that. Because if you can't compartmentalize things, it can consume you. The job can consume you. What you do can consume you. And you take all that stuff home with you. It can destroy families. And, and I've seen it happen many times in this profession there's a lot of folks in this profession that go through family struggles and hurt and divorce multiple times. And I feel for those folks, but uh, you have to be able to separate what you do and who you are uh, in order to be successful, both as a law enforcement officer and as a family man. Yeah, there is actually, I as I understand it, a high rate of divorce in law enforcement officer families. Of course, there's a high rate of divorce in the society as a whole, but it seemed even more so in law enforcement families. And I think it's the pressures of always being on, of always being aware, and it makes it difficult to come down and drop your guard. I think that would be difficult. So I'm proud you found a way to be able to work through that. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely necessary. Hey, let's brag about your sweetheart. I'm sure she'd be happy to be a stay-at-home mom also and loves her family, but she has a call to education and she serves as an elementary school principal. Is that right? That is right. Uh, She has been involved in education for over 20 years now, uh, both here in Oklahoma and in Texas when she first graduated from college. She does. She has that calling and she is very good at what she does to serve those students. She's not just there to you know, to be the the hand of correction for students. She actually cares about her students, her staff, and their families. And uh, it shows in the way that she does her job. You've got a family that is involved in service. Thank you. That's, I, I think that's commendable for all of you. Thank you for that. That is our pleasure. Justin, you're an African-American law enforcement officer. Apart from the military, The law enforcement community may be one of the more diverse occupations, I think, in the United States. And you you can speak to that if you want to. But regardless of your skin color, the day we're living in is really difficult for our sheriff's departments, police departments, local, state, federal law enforcement communities. Is it difficult to be a person of color and a law enforcement officer in our society's current climate? Law enforcement has changed over the years from the time I was a child. You know, law enforcement was a respected occupation. People appreciated, liked, respected law enforcement officers. Fast forward to today, there are still those people out there, and I'm grateful for them. But uh, there's just a different attitude about law enforcement and what we do and and why we do what we do. I'm not going to say that there are not bad apples. There's bad apples in every bunch, no matter what the profession is. But the majority of the people who go in as profession do it because they want to help. They want to make a difference. They want to make their communities better. Being an African-American in law enforcement at times can be difficult, has been difficult, because you see issues on both sides, which 
that's kind of been a surprise for me because I was not raised to see color like that. People were people, no matter what your color, race, et cetera. We're raised to love and respect everyone, but uh, everyone unfortunately doesn't see it like that. There's been times when I get a hard time dealing with someone who may not like African-American or Black people. There are some folks out there who have a different mindset and opinion or were raised a certain way, and Blacks don't get the same respect that they respect their people with. But also on the other side of that coin, I've had times when there are, are Black people who don't respect me because they tell me that I'm not Black, I'm blue, or you know, you, you're not one of us because you wear that badge and that uniform. And I just kind of look at them like, I was born this way. Uh, this is who I am. And it doesn't matter what I wear. I'm still going to be who I am. There is that element out there, but I don't want to neglect the fact that there are people out there who still do respect law enforcement and tell us on a daily basis, hey, you know, no matter how difficult things get, we want you to know that we are out there and we do appreciate you. There's been many times that I've went to a restaurant and someone offers to buy my lunch or sends a nice note to the table just to reaffirm us that there are people out there who still respect law enforcement. I appreciate that. If you're in this part of town and we're having lunch, we're in the same restaurant, I'm likely to pick up the bill, buddy. I'm going to eat in your part of town more often. <laughs> we need to get together. That's right. If you could sum up this conversation, Justin, into just one important thing you'd like for us to know or to understand, what would that one thing be? I think that one thing would be probably one of my favorite scriptures, Matthew 6.33, where it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. So when you can learn to prioritize things right in your life, put God first, then everything else will fall in line. Your work life, your family life, your life with your friends, everything else will fall in line. When you follow the Lord and the leading of his spirit and all the other desires of your heart will, will come to pass as need to be. I hope you enjoyed our podcast, and I hope that you'll join us on future episodes. Please follow us or subscribe so you can be notified when new podcasts are released. Until next time, this is Rick Shields, and on behalf of the Doorways Leadership and Influence Network, this is my prayer for you. May you have rest when you need it, strength when you want it, and joy when you least expect it. Until next time, may the Lord bless you as you follow after Him. Thanks for listening.